Welcome to Life Lessons, a ministry of Metro Believers Church. We pray that you will be encouraged by today's teaching. And now, our guest speaker. Story. How many of you have been enjoying the story? Just going through it as a family and enjoying the Word of God as you've been growing. You know, we've been talking about three different areas. We've been talking about God's story. We've been talking about our story collectively. Did you know that we're writing a story together? The community of God here at Metro Believers Church. We're writing a story. So you have God's story. You have our story and then you have my story, okay? My individual life and how it plays out. And so we've been asking uh, folks to be willing to share their story, their testimony, the redemptive work of the cross of Jesus Christ that's happened in their life. And so every Sunday, we're actually having a different person share their story. And this morning is Allison Cluton. Come on up here, Allison. We wanna hear your story today. All right. Is this on, Josh? I don't hear it. Well, I think I just turned it off. There we go. There you go. All right. I want to hear it. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, my story is a story of God who pursued me when I didn't know I was being pursued. A God who rescued me when I didn't know I needed to be rescued. And a God who performed miracle, radical miracles right before my eyes and right within my own heart. My prayer is that you see him in my testimony today. I'm a, I was a 26-year-old uh, trying to find my place in the world. And my college community had gone our separate ways and I felt as alone as I had ever felt in my whole life. Most of the positive influences in my life were gone and I found myself on a very destructive path. My social life revolved around the bar scene, drinking, smoking pot, and looking for love in all the wrong places. I was promiscuous with men I barely knew. There was a night I drove home hitting several curbs. My life was spiraling out of control. Despite my reckless night and weekend life, I had landed a very desirable position in a sales job. From the outside looking in, I was on top of the world. <laughs> but on the inside, I was in complete turmoil. I was depressed, I was anxious, and I had just received news that shattered my heart. After a 16-year battle with cancer, my grandma was given a terminal diagnosis with cancer um, and only had a few months to live. I began asking myself questions. Why did she have to suffer, and where was she going when she died? I had a friend who said to me, Allison, you are carrying some burdens. And there's only, there's someone who wants to carry them for you. At the time, I had no idea what he was talking about, but I was intrigued with the statement. He invited me to church, so I went, and then I found myself back, driving to the church the following week. After meeting the sweetest little receptionist who loaded me down with information upon information with small groups, specifically Alpha, I met with a pastor named Joe for a few hours. He helped me to realize that the God in my life was me, but my big C, creator God, 
had a much better plan for me if I just chose to surrender and follow him. My life would be much more fulfilling. I made that decision that day on Thursday, August 15, 2002, yeah. to believe in Jesus, to confess that he would be the new leader and Lord of my life. I knew I had done something significant, but honestly, church, the rest of the day didn't look any different. However, the next morning, I realized the light of the sun for the first time in a long time. I felt a joy I had never known. <sighs> I felt changed, but I couldn't communicate exactly what had happened to me. My circumstances certainly had not changed. The only thing that had changed was my heart. I had surrendered to Jesus and responded to his love that was chasing after me. I'm no Apostle Paul, but like him, our paths of destruction were radically intersected by Jesus. <laughs> were radically intersected by Jesus, and our hearts were healed, and the scales on our eyes were lifted because we both chose a new life, life with Jesus. Church, I believe the Holy Spirit led my car to that church that Thursday. It was a divine appointment that I believe God orchestrated, not me. Without any effort of my own, God miraculously lifted my depression and anxiety. The, the appetite for my previous life was gone, but not only was it gone, it was repulsive to me. God made me aware of the filth coming out of my mouth. He gave me new words to speak. I had experienced a miracle I didn't realize until days after it had happened. When God changed my heart, he also gave me new desires. I was now hungry for truth that only could be found in the word of God. I surrendered my life. I surrounded my, myself with new people who would encourage me to walk with Jesus. I worshiped and wept in the presence of Jesus. I got baptized. <laughs> and I wanted others to know that God had done something miraculous. If anyone is in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. The Holy Spirit had come in and cleaned this temple, setting me free from the web of sin that I was caught in. Only God could rescue me like he did, as quickly as he did, as miraculous as he did. And I wanted others to know my old ways are dead and that I was alive in Jesus. Five months later, I found myself on a blind date with Matt Cluton, a 6'7", Jesus-loving guy who would soon become my husband till death do us part. <laughs> we celebrate 15 years this October, and Jesus continues to be the third strand in our marriage from Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. I am here to testify that he is the giver of good gifts, and he is an ever-present help in our time of need, church. Through the difficulty of getting pregnant, two complicated pregnancies, the loss of our triplet daughter, Olivia Joy, and eight surgeries in eight and a half years, Matt and I have seen the hand of God in miraculous ways. He has never left us alone, church. No matter what this world has thrown us, we choose to stand in Jesus and in the victory that Jesus won at the cross. For me, the one to trust in a follower of Jesus has been trusting, continuing to trust in him when life circumstances are hard and they don't always yield the results that I want. I want my lower story to always point to him. So Jesus, I choose you. You are so worth it. And I trust you with all my heart.
Thank you. Well, it's uh, so refreshing to hear the backstories of people. We see, you know, them and we think that everything's just easy for them. And uh, I've got it so tough. But you know what? God has a plan for your life. And he has a plan for Allison's life. He's been walking that out. I mean, now she's on the pastoral team, has been for years, her and her husband, and are helping people follow Jesus and come to know him. So thank you, Allison, for that transparency and sharing your story with us. This morning, we're excited to announce that um, we have a guest speaker for our fifth part of the story, uh, an amazing example, a team that's just been an amazing example of God's faithfulness throughout the world as he teaches and travels. Um, this morning, we're going to be blessed by Manuel as he comes up and talks about chapter 5 in the story. Let's give him a hand as he comes. <laughs> Good morning, NBC. Great to be here. <laughs> Great to be announced as a guest speaker. <laughs> uh, it's good to be here. How many of you have liked going through the story? I know PG already, already asked one. PG already, already liked going through the story. I have a German accent. Takes a couple minutes to get used to, so in about three, four minutes, you'll be able to understand what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Those of you that laughed uh, are a little faster. Good. But yeah, I, I love the Bible. I love the fact that we're going through the story. I don't know how many of you know, but I've worked with Bible schools for about a decade in our uh, mission organization, running uh, Bible schools all over the world. And what I love about it is how people find freedom as they go through the whole Bible, how the community is changed, how there is really a difference that is made, and how there's such treasure hidden in the pages of often the Old Testament, that we don't really know what to do with. So it's awesome to be here and go through this together with you. How many of you got to read the uh, chapter 5 uh, in preparation for today? Yes, a few of us have. Okay, um, as you read it, you come across a few places where you probably go, what the heck is happening here? Anybody feel that? No? Yeah. Yeah, you read it, and it's kind of like a speed bump. You go like, wait, what happened? <laughs> yeah, And that's part of this story, part of this Old Testament narrative, is that it tells you the story as it happens, with all the flaws, and you are supposed to be like, yeah, that was a bad idea, right? Uh, anyway, so we're going we're gonna to talk about that. But before we get started with uh, chapter 5, New Commands and a New Covenant, I want to just uh, have the ushers come and hand out uh, the handouts. Oops, this thing is kind of pulling me on the wrong side. There you go. All right. Uh, I want to do a little review, figure out where we are at in this story. So, so God has just redeemed his people from slavery in Egypt, right? They have been there for 400 years and have been serving the Egyptians, all they have ever known in terms of religion and gods is the religion of Egypt, where the gods are bloodthirsty, arbitrary, they are manipulated by man. That's all they know, and all of a sudden this dude comes, he's like, hey, I have been sent by the God of Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, and Jacob. 
wait, that's our fathers. Our fathers had a different God than these guys. We've been under the God of the oppressor for 400 years, so we assume that those are the strongest gods. See that? And so God comes and he brings plagues, 10 plagues, and these 10 plagues are a direct confrontation of the 10 main deities in Egypt. In other words, God is saying, look, I can kick these, I can kick these gods' butt. Right? I can. That's all they know about him at this point. This God came in and he got us out. You know, then when they finally were able to leave, took a while, the Egyptians were like, oh crap, our slaves are gone. Can I say that in church? Oh crap. So, okay. Egyptians probably said something more strong than that. Our slaves are gone, let's go get them. So they go after the slaves, you know, and they are camped by the sea and uh, they go like, okay, we're dead. They're coming to get us back, right? Then God opens up a path in the sea. Higher critics say it's, it was the Reed Sea, a little swamp that you go through, not the Red Sea. They must not know that the Bible was not written in English originally. But uh, they go through the sea. God rescues them. All right, and now they're in the desert. And they have to figure out, okay, who is this God? Why did he bring us here? Did he just bring us here to kill us? And you find that idea over and over. He just brought us here to kill us. And you're like, man. That makes no sense. You know, God comes in busting you out Liam Neeson style and uh, promise you to bring, to bring you to the land of milk and honey and you go like, nah, he brought us here to kill us. You know? All right. Uh, and as we go through the story, you will see how the people frustrate you because of their stiff-neckedness. And then you see that you, we're kind of like that too. <laughs> and then we're really grateful for how gracious the Lord is. Amen. Now, uh, what about the perspective of God? The perspective of God. Now, he has the big picture. Amen? What is he doing? Well, he created mankind in his image. And he created us because he wanted to pour his love on us. His ability to love others also. Are you with me? And so, for love and relationship... For love and relationship to be genuine, it has to be chosen. Otherwise, it's illusion. Are you with me? Now, nah, God is just making us do something. God is just making us do this stuff. We don't really love him. No, that would be very weird. All right? So for love to be genuine, it has to be chosen. In other words, if there is not an opportunity to disobey, your obedience is illusion. It's not real. Does that make sense? So God put this tree in the garden and told them, don't eat off this tree. This is how you choose life. In order to be obedient and to love truly, there has to be a way to disobey, and the tree was this way. Are you with me? And he said, by the way, just to make it clear, if you eat off this tree, the consequence will be that you will die. All right? Now, we know the story. Adam and Eve eat off the tree. And then they go like, oh, we just ate off this tree. God's going to kill us. You know, so they hide. God comes and he tries to restore them. They hide because they probably think God wants to kill them. They not, don't realize that they removed themselves from the source of life and chose death themselves. It's just a consequence. And we will talk about that in the next few minutes. All right? So now everything you have looked at in these past four weeks shows that God still wants them. Did you see that? He wants them. He goes, yeah, yeah. 
going to fix this here, this technical difficulty while I keep talking. Thank you so much. I don't know if we're missing like a, yeah. Thank you. Okay. Yes. Thank you. See, yeah, see. We'll see if it better. It keeps pulling back there for some reason, but so I feel like I'm on a leash or something. <laughs> Thank you, PG. Uh, everything you've looked at in the last four weeks shows that God still wants them, you know, and he wants to be with them. And here in our part of the story today, we will see how he actually moves in with them. He gives them new commandments, he moves in with them, and uh, let's just dive in and see what happens. Okay, let's dive in. So let's read some Bible. It's here on your handout and also up on the screen. In the beginning of our story, God calls Moses to speak to him, and he says this, Exodus 19, 4 to 8. He says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And they go like, yes, we have. <laughs> Pretty amazing. And he says, you know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. An intimacy, a nearness. I've carried you on eagles' wings. Amen. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among the peoples on the earth. What a wonderful promise. You, you will be my special treasure. It's like what you would say to your love before you get engaged. You're my special treasure. Right? It's very, very intimate. For all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. And Moses then goes and says, okay, I will tell them. And he says, it says, so Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded them, him. And all the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought the answer back to the Lord. <laughs> all right. So everything sounds great. Are you with me? Sounds great. God tells the people these wonderful plans he has for them. They respond with, yeah, we're all in. And then God says, awesome. Now it's time for me to come to you then. And so he told Moses to tell the people to prepare themselves for the third day when he will come to the mountain. And they wash their clothes. They prepare themselves. God tells them that they are not to touch the mountain or die. And then on the third day he comes and the earth shakes. There's smoke, it's, it's really an intense scene, you know, 5,000, 4,500 years ago, um, 3,500 years ago, Hollywood special effects, right? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is the earth shaking, the mountains smoking? Well, God is awesomely holy and powerful, right? And when the earth fell with Adam and Eve, the earth, nature, creation is now groaning, waiting for God to come and set things right. So God comes and the earth goes like, here he is. It's awesome, you know, set us right. And God's like, no, not yet. He's probably really gentle, you know, as he steps on this mountain and smoke comes and crazy. He's as gentle as he can be, right? Uh, but another thing that he's teaching the people, and this is very important, he's teaching them what it means to be holy, right? He says to them, you will be a holy nation. And they say, what's holy? What's holy? How do you teach people something that is part of who they are, part of their identity, that they have no capacity of understanding? How do you teach them that? Well, just like this. Wash your clothes. Prepare yourself. Don't touch this mountain until the ram's horn blows, and then you can touch it. He's teaching them what it means to be holy. Do you see that? 
what it means to be set apart, but he has to start on kindergarten level, preschool level, all right? And ultimately, what God wants uh, is for his people to live like he does, all right? Why? Because that's how he created us to live. Are you with me? So God comes down to meet with Moses, and he gives them the Ten Commandments. When you look at the Ten Commandments, it's interesting because you will see that every single one of these commandments protects what we were created for, relationship. Let's have a look at those commandments. First, we have uh, the commandment that says, you shall have no other gods before me. Other gods before me. Now, people look at that and go like, well, God is really insecure, right? If he says this to them, you know. But think about it. If Allison said to Matt, yeah, Matt, if Allison said to Matt, yeah, Matt, you know, it's fine to have other women in your life, not a big deal, relationship would not be what it is meant to be. Now, Allison is wonderful, but she's not as wonderful as God, right? He's the most wonderful, beautiful, valuable being in the universe. If he said, go and mess with these other gods that will devalue you, that would not be loving and wise, right? So he's like, no other gods before me. Don't make for yourself an image to worship it, all right? Don't make yourself an image because you are the image of God. Anything you make would devalue who you are, all right? You shall not misuse the name of the Lord. Why not? Well, if any time I hit my finger, I would be a PG. Or any time there's like a driver, this PGing driver, you know, and then I see PG, yeah, that'd be weird, you know? The relationship would just be like he would be associated with everything bad in my life, all right? Doesn't make for good relationship. Keep the Sabbath holy, this is God's gift, pre-union time. Yeah. Do you hear me? Pre-union, he said, there is a, to be a day off every week, and you will meet me, you will remember that I made you, and you will rest in the beauty of who you are, as made in the image of God. Amen? And then we go to the other five or six commandments. Honor your father and mother. You will have good relationship if you honor them. And they're also the ones that teach you about who the Lord is and his law. Right? They were your teachers. You shall not murder. It's difficult, friends, to have a relationship with a guy you just killed. All right? You shall not commit adultery. You get the point. All right? You shall not steal. You shall not lie or bear false witness. And you shall not covet. Don't let your heart go to desiring what others have, because that leads to sin. Coveting is not a action, in, uh, like not a literal action that you can see, like the other commandments, it's in your heart. People think the Old Testament is all about externals, it's not about the heart. No, this is about the heart. But do you see this? All these protect relationships. You can think more about how they protect relationships. I'm just scratching the surface. But that's what it's doing, you know? And so when Jesus, as God, came to earth, he summarized all these laws with one word, love. Love God, love your neighbor. If you do that, you don't even need any commandments, all right? Love. So when God made people, he made them to enjoy him and each other. He made them to enjoy life and life to the fullest, you know, Proof of that is that we have taste buds. You don't need taste buds to survive. God made you because you can enjoy, to enjoy awesome food. When he celebrates, he says, you will make awesome food and you will come and you have strong drink, coffee, right? No. And uh, you, will, 
you will celebrate in the presence of the Lord. All right? He loves us, okay? So, speaking of being made to live life to the fullest, to explain this more, I want to use three little words. Uh, design or purpose, design, and design requirements. Okay, I will explain this. So, everything that has been made has been made for a purpose, right? This is a, a box of uh, matches. What's the purpose of a box of matches? Light your cigarette during the smoking break, right? I'm sorry, I'm from Germany. <laughs> you guys have probably heard this. Today, this lady came into our church and she had all this makeup on. I was so shocked, my cigarette fell in my beer. <laughs> that's, that's a cultural difference between Germans and Americans, okay? But uh, yeah, so these are matches to light a fire. And uh, they have been designed in a way that they can fulfill this purpose, right? So they have this little, this little red head up here. With, I don't know what's in there, I'm not a scientist or something. And then on the side here is this thing that you can strike it against and... Yeah. There we go. And you have a fire, it's made from wood. Right? So it's been made to start a fire. Now, it has certain design requirements, like keep this in a dry place. Because if it rains on it, or if the preacher spits on it too much, what happens is it gets wet and it doesn't work anymore. Are you with me? Another example is an automobile. So I have a Volkswagen Beetle, a, a yellow Volkswagen Beetle. People are very happy when they see me until they see how I drive. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it uses quite a bit of gas. And as a missionary, I want to, you know, be wise with the support we get from our friends and family. So I've been thinking, how can I cut back on gas? And also, how can we actually free our nation from the oppression of foreign oil? How can we, you know, drive to work, drive to our dates, and uh, not support nations that do not like us? So I had this idea. Before it got cold here in Wisconsin, I would water my garden, and I realized uh, that water is liquid. And last time I got gas, I pulled the nozzle out too early. Gas is liquid as well. Are you, are you guys with me? Yeah? No? Okay. If you're not, you'd be like, why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about this? Okay, gas, gas is liquid. So I have this idea, and I'm like, I'm going to show the world how to break the oppression of foreign oil and save some money. I start this huge Facebook event. I invite, you know, local news. They tweet about it. See how to end the oppression of foreign oil. So CNN shows up, BBC shows up, NHK, all these great news stations. You know, so I'm like, okay, great. Today's the day. The event is here. Everybody's here. Cameras are up. Uh, Hero, my Japanese assistant, looks good in international. What could go wrong with a German-Japanese alliance? Amen. Uh, so he, uh, he grabs the hose and uh, he uh, puts it into my gas tank. Cameras are rolling and water is being put in the gas tank. This is how we break the oppression of foreign oil. Okay, now get this. I start the engine. Furious. I open the door of my automobile. In front of the cameras, I exclaim, I knew it! <laughs> Volkswagen is punishing me for not following their stupid rules. Now, if uh, this story were true, and I really did that, what would you think about me? Huh? Less? Maybe, thank you, that's very kind. That's very kind. 
How many of you would say, would say that I'm a stupid idiot? Yeah. <laughs> now nah, you wouldn't because, yes, oh, okay. <laughs> because the Lord says if you say that, you no. <laughs> All right. So no one in their right mind would blame the automobile maker when your car breaks down because you put the wrong stuff in it. Right? No one. But why do we do that with God? We break the design requirements which, with, with, with which we have been created to fulfill our purpose. We have negative consequences and we think God is punishing us? No. It's like filling water in your gas tank. You're just not made for that. The automobile is not made to run on water. It's made to run on gas. Are you with me? So here, God is explaining to the Israelites how they should live according to the design by which they were created. Uh, why should they not worship any other gods? Why should they not make a graven image? Why should they not murder or lie? Because God created us to live like that, not the opposite to that. He created us to live life in relationship. You know, and he's the most beautiful and valuable and lovely being in the universe and created us so he could share his love with us and we could respond. For all eternity past, God has lived like this. He didn't just make up these commandments. This is how he has lived in perfect community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen? So the great irony of all this is that while Moses is up on the mountain... The people who promise to do everything the Lord has commanded them get very impatient. They get very impatient. And God is right here on the mountain in front of them. Right? They can see it. Uh, Moses went up, met the Lord, and stayed there for 40 days. And so it says here in Exodus 32, 1, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down to the mountain, I mean down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come on! Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to that fellow Moses who brought us out from the land of Egypt. Uh, so quickly how you go from hero to zero, right? This guy brought us out now. He's like, we don't know what happened to that fellow. You know, so Aaron tells them, all right, take your earrings, take your piercings. We're going to make something cool. They bring it. He melts it all. And out comes this golden calf, right? That's how he says, out came this calf. I don't know what happened, you know. And so when the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out from the land of Egypt. And then Aaron saw how excited the people were. So he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. Uh, Man-made religion, right? We're going to have this festival. The festival comes... People get up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrate with feasting and drinking, and they indulge in pagan revelry. Now, if you study the Bible and the history of the Bible, you will find out that pagan revelry is nothing less but sex orgies. All right? It's a pretty intense scene here. They completely missed the point. Do you see that? They rejected yet again the way that God was trying to teach them just like Adam had rejected the way God was trying to teach him. You know, so this is extremely sad. Here is this beautiful God with a beautiful plan. And the people say, nah, thanks, we know better. 
and with that, sabotage themselves like someone filling water into a gas tank. Do you see that? So if you were God, how would you feel? You know, what more could you do to show them that you love them, busting them out, saving them, bringing them here? You know, in this story, God comes to this point where he says to Moses, forget it. I'm going to start over. I'm going to start over with you, Moses. And then Moses responds to this plan. Now, he's still up on the mountain. He hasn't seen yet what's going on. Later, when he comes down, he goes like, <gasps> God sees, right? And so Moses says this, chapter 32, 11. He says, but Moses tried to pacify the Lord as God. Oh, Lord, he said, why are you so angry with your own people? whom you brought from the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand. Why let the Egyptians say, their God rescued them with evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth. Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. And God said, Moses, you failed theology class. Did you not learn about immutability? which is for the theology nerds among us, okay? Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the heaven, and I will give them all of this land that I have promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. Friends, this is one of the most amazing passages here in this story. It, it's weird. It's like the Lord changed his mind, you know, and it brings up all these questions. I thought he knows everything. Why does, what does that mean? Blah, blah, blah. doesn't matter. What he's trying to communicate to us is you can change the future when you seek me and seek me with all of your heart. You know, he gives this plan to Moses, and maybe he wanted to see how will Moses respond? Look, Moses, if you're willing to work with these people, I'm going to work with you. You know, this is like a, a key moment where you can decide, are you, going to, are you going to keep working with these guys, right? So the all-wise God will listen to a man or a woman to adjust his plan. God wants us to know that when we pray to him with all our hearts, he hears and the future is changed. Do not underestimate the significance of prayer. Amen? So coming to a close, I want to point out one other thing that I find really cool. And I think you will too. God, at the end of our chapter, moves in with his people. He has them prepare this tent so he can go camping, glamour camping, right? Glamping, is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're still camping. He has, he has them prepare a place for him. All right, and he points out two guys, Oholiab and Bezalel. God anoints them to do his work. And let's read this together. This is what he says about them, Exodus 31, 2 to 6. He says, look, I've specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Ori, grandson of her of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him, next slide, I have filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of craft. I filled him with the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, friends. All right? When we read the story, it challenges our theology. It's a good thing. 
He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is a master at every craft. And I have personally appointed Oholiab, son of Ahisamak, of the tribe of Dan, to be his assistant. Moreover, I have given special skills to all the gifted craftsmen so they can make all the things I've commanded you to make. What's cool about this, the anointing of God is on these guys not to worship, not to preach, not to teach, but to build things. You hear that? To build things. Now, it's to build his house, but we have this view, this very limited view of the anointing of God. Are you with me? Could it be that he is saying to you, look, I've specifically chosen Matt. I've anointed him to do books really well for people and prepare an inheritance for their children. Look, I have specifically anointed Paul. I've anointed him with wisdom so he can do electrical work that makes this stuff work. Right? I have specifically anointed blank. When you look at that and you think about that and you can start to fathom that there may be an anointing for you what you're going to do tomorrow, it changes everything. You start living in the calling God has given you. You start accepting that anointing to have creativity that is beyond your wisdom. That's how God builds this kingdom. He wants all men to be blessed. And as you walk in this anointing, that is what's happening. Right? So as we close today, I hope you feel loved as you see the great lengths God goes to to get his people to understand his purpose and his plan for them. That he wants to be near you. That he's done everything he can to be near you. The problem is not with God, friends. The problem is with us. That we don't think he wants us. And he's going through great lengths throughout the whole story to show that he wants you. Amen? So I pray that he will teach us on a deeper level, how he created us to live so that we would not only live life to the full, but through our life, also point others to our beautiful God. Amen. What a good word. This If you want to know more about Life Lessons, check us out online at MetroBelievers.com or write to us at Metro Believers Church, P.O. Box 45702, Madison, Wisconsin 53744.